When someone says, as a Christian, I just have to sin. I just have to fill in the blank, and what the blank is, is sin. I just have to give in to this thought, or this uh, word, or this way of talking, or this uh, division, or this losing my temper, or this bitterness, or this whatever that this is, if this is sin, they need the truth of Romans 6. And if you want to help them, you need the truth of Romans 6 to point them in, in this direction. We are free in Romans 6 to serve a new master. You're free. How are we free? We'll see at the end we're free because of our powerful new master has set us free. So if you are still serving sin or giving your body over to sin, you're not serving the right master who set you free. And so Romans 6 and 7 and 8 are crucial for us to understand how to grow as a Christian. Often it's how to think, which he'll say, don't you know? Don't you know this? You have to know this if you're going to grow as a Christian. Don't you know how to present your bodies to a new master? And he says that in the middle of Romans 6. And now we've got to verse 16. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? See, the first time this idea of slavery and master shows up in the New Testament, it is Matthew 6, where Jesus says, you cannot be a slave to two masters. If we had, like the Romans did in their culture, half, a third to a half of the culture was slaves, this would not be, I wouldn't have to explain it. But because we don't have slaves all around us and half of you are slaves, uh, literally, uh, you're going back to your master this afternoon, uh, and you're going to serve him or her this whole week until you come back to church next. That, that doesn't happen in our culture. But in the Roman culture, it did. So whenever Paul says and whenever Jesus is teaching, he, they, it didn't require an explanation because obviously no one can be a slave to two masters. Only one person could own you. That's incredibly important to understand that we are slaves to a new master. And our new master in this passage and others in Romans that I'll bring out at the end of our time together, he is a powerful new master. Why do people, why do Christians sin after salvation? Often they sin because they get discouraged about sin, or they have patterns of sin. And they say, I just can't break the pattern of sin. I have given myself before salvation to this or that particular sin, and when I get tempted again even after salvation, oh, the temptation is too strong. My heart is too strong. The world is too strong. I just have to give in to this. And Paul's going to challenge that I have to give in to sin with 
No, you don't. Romans 6 tells us you do not have to give your physical body to sin any longer. You're free from that master. When you were a slave to sin, that master abused you. You hated it, but you felt like you, there's no other master. There's only one option, and it's a horrible life. But the moment that Christ set you free, He buys you out of slavery to sin. Think about how the New Testament says, we were bought with a price. These physical bodies are bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God with our body and our spirit, which are God's. And that passage, 1 Corinthians 6, is in the context of fleeing immorality. We don't have to give ourselves immorality again. Well, what if the world is immoral? We don't have to be like the world. We don't have to love what the world loves. We don't have to follow the lust of our flesh and the lust of our mind and the pride of life anymore. We have been set free. So how do we follow our Savior? Well, our last song gave us an example. In faith. In faith, we follow on the path. The man who wrote that song lost his wife when she was in her 30s to cancer. He struggled, and he actually stood in this pulpit and told us his story, Matt Herbster, about his struggle after he lost his wife to keep following Christ when he was angry and bitter at God. In faith, we follow, trusting in this passage and obeying, trusting and obeying. We'll close our service with that song trusting and obeying. How can we tell if you are trusting God? According to Romans 6, you're obeying. And as we obey, our trust grows. As we trust, our obedience grows. They go hand in hand. And so, let's look at Romans 6, and we got to verse 17 last week, and I'll just catch up with the notes of 15 and 16, and then we'll jump right into 17. So we simply obey our powerful new master. What does verse 15 say? We emphatically reject this logic that we can sin because we're, no, we're now under grace. That'd be like going back to serving your sinful master when Christ has set you free from him. Why would you go back, why would you go back to prison and, and put yourself willingly behind bars if the door has been opened and you have been set free? It makes no sense to go back to prison and say, I have a horrible life. I'm stuck in prison. The door is open. You don't have to stay there. Okay? That's Romans 6, 15. We don't have to sin. It's foolish to sin because we're now under grace. We logically know what verse 16 says. What is it? In summary, we are free to choose to follow only one master, and that master is righteousness, obeying Christ, which leads to righteousness. Then verse 17. So much truth here in verse 17, it's worth its own message. So verse 17 says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
okay, this verse is worth memorizing because of how much truth is packed into, in my Bible, four and a half lines of text. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. All right, we're going to take each phrase by itself and build this thought. We wholeheartedly embrace. All right, we emphatically reject something in verse 15. We have to know something in verse 16. And now in verse 17, what are we to embrace? Rejecting something, learning something, holding on to something. All right? What are we holding on to in verse 17? Well, Paul starts with an encouragement. He says this a couple times. He says it, thanks be to God, in, in Romans 1 to encourage the Romans. He says this elsewhere in his letters to encourage them that I am thanking God for you. What is it about the, the Romans and their response to the gospel that Paul is thankful for? Romans 1.8 says this, now here in, in verse 17. But thanks be to God, and he's building this idea on who is your master? Who are you serving? Well, it says you were once slaves of sin. Now, who here hasn't once been a slave to sin? Now, I was saved, I believe, at age four. I don't remember a lot of my life before my salvation, but my parents could attest that I was a slave to sin until I was set free. Some of you were saved at 14 or 24 or 34, 44, 74. And you could look back at your life if you were saved as an adult, you could have to say this about your life before Christ. I was once a slave to sin. I gave my life to sin. People could see that I lived a sinful life. I maybe tried to be good. I tried to hide my sin. I tried to look good in front of people. I tried to get rid of the idea that I was a sinner, that I could earn my favor with God by doing good works. But in reality, I was a slave to sin. What did you do when you were a slave to sin? Well, in the, in the language of Romans 6, you would have presented your parts of your body to sin. Sin was your master. You woke up thinking about sin. You went throughout the day committing sin. You went to bed trying to justify your sin. That was your normal day. The next day, repeat and repeat and repeat. Your life was awful if you were to evaluate it. You self-evaluated your life, you'd say, that was the most horrible way to live. And it is. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's a horrible way to live. It doesn't matter if it is just lying or just anger or bitterness, just gossip, just unkindness, just sarcasm, or it's something more heinous like an addiction to alcohol or drugs or pornography, immorality, or even physical, you are physically abused people, or you killed someone. 
See, there are always culturally acceptable sins, and there's culturally unacceptable sins. But for God, sin is sin. And before our salvation, we were all slaves of sin. We have this in common with the Romans. We have this in common with all of humanity except for Jesus. All of us know what it's like to be a slave to sin. And all of us have to tell others, especially Christians who are set free, life is so much better not being a slave to sin. And we can sing songs like we did this morning, having been set free from sin. In faith we can follow. He's going to hold us fast. God was faithful to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Grace that is greater than our sin. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's love? Died He for me who caused His pain. Wonderful truth that we've sung. Wonderful truth that we get to observe here. So what is it that Paul is commending here? Well, he's talking about obedience. You see that in in verse 16. You also see it here in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slave to sin, and they were obeying sin, they have become, they're, they're changed now. They've become obedient. Obedient. This is likely the external, what we can see. We want in our children for them to obey. And for the most part, I was an obedient child on the outside. Emphasis only on the outside as a kid. I knew where the line was. I knew who to sin around and still appear to be obedient to those in authority over me as a kid. But I was struggling as all of us do as children, even if we're saved as children, struggle to give myself to sin or to obeying God. And my parents were probably not pleased with me when they found out that I sinned, but they, as I got older, they didn't allow me to just obey outwardly. Paul here is commending the Romans because they were obedient not just outwardly, not just with their, with their bodies. They talked the talk. They talked like they loved Christ. They talked like they were obedient to God's Word. They obeyed, what's verse 17 say? From the heart. From the heart. All of us struggle to obey. But when God has our hearts, obeying is much easier after He has our hearts than before. See, we can say that we love Christ, say that we want to obey, and in our heart think, I can't wait till my parents aren't around. I can't wait till the police aren't around. I can't wait till anyone in authority over me is not around. I can't wait to get out of church because then there's not Christians around me so that I can do what I want to do. 
That's opposite of what he's saying here. They were obedient from the heart. What is the heart? The heart's the desire, the will, uh, the, the area of our life that controls our will or our desires. See, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we struggle with our desire to sin, our desire to do what's right. Galatians tells us this is the, the, the flesh and the spirit that are fighting to control us. But the Romans are commended that they were obedient to God because they wanted to obey God. And here's what we have to determine if we are helping others to grow in grace and knowledge of God. Are you obeying or are you obeying from the heart? I'm okay if you're three, four, five, six, seven, and you're just obeying. I am not okay if you're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and you're not obeying from the heart. And you're just going through the motions still. And now you're becoming, you've learned how to deceive people around you, how to hide your sin and live how you want to live in private. It's a dangerous place to be as Christians because God's going to expose your sin when He wants it exposed. You're going to get punished for your sin, disciplined, because whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He loves, Hebrews 12 says. And when He disciplines us, Hebrews 12 says, He wants us to return to Him in holiness and righteousness, using language of Romans 6. And when He disciplines us, He wants to capture again our heart. We're going to have communion in a few minutes. And you know what communion is supposed to do for us? To motivate us to obey our Savior from our hearts. That if we're just going through the motions, we're singing the songs, we're just listening, and then we pause and remember the tremendous price that Christ paid for our sins on the cross. We are supposed to be crushed and convicted and repentant and say, oh man, I've just been going through the motions again. Please forgive me, Christ, for just saying the words. And we deserve the rebuke that was given to the Pharisees around Jesus, that you do all these external things to be seen of men, but your heart is far from God, quoting Isaiah. And God is not concerned with where you are right now, sitting, listening, singing, giving in the offering, fellowshipping. He is more concerned with you and I obeying from the heart. So are you here because you want to be here? Are you here because if your parents or your spouse or you don't, you don't care if people see you or not. You're here, if you'd be here by yourself because you love your Savior and you want to obey Him. You are convinced that you should be at church because you want to obey your Savior from the heart. That you want to sing because you want to obey your Savior from your heart. You open your Bible tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning, and you pray because you want to obey your Savior from your heart. And it's not required. 
we wholeheartedly embrace. Verse 17 says, we are in a new position. We have a new master, and we are obedient to him from the heart. God, when he saves us, changes our will, changes our desires. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we are new creation. Old things, old will, old desires have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 2, what we didn't read in Philippians 2 was that when we follow Christ, He works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure as we live out our salvation in fear and trembling. That's Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. So God changes our will as we allow Him to, as we present our whole bodies to Him. And if you're struggling to obey God from the heart, you know what you need to do? Take your hands off of your heart. See, we try to control our heart and our desires. God, I still, I'm glad that you saved me. I'm glad you transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to light. I'm glad you transferred me from death to life. I'm glad that you're going to give me eternal life. But God, let me control my life. Don't tell me how to live. That is not obedience. That is still rebellion. We take our hands off of controlling our heart, our desires, and say, God, you are my master. By the power of the gospel, you have set me free. And you get all of me because you set me free. Not just my obedience externally, but you get my heart. He continues in verse 17. You're obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching or the pattern of teaching. What does teaching normally go after? The mind. Does someone understand math? Well, they've been taught math and they take a test. Do they understand it? Did they get it? I don't know, let's give them some word problems. Oh, yep, they got it. They understand these concepts. Where do you usually understand things? In your mind. So, your external, your obedience is seen. You're obeying from the heart. Your will, your desires are transformed. And then, your mind is being transformed. How is it being transformed? You're following something, a different pattern. What does Isaiah 60 or Isaiah 53 say? Christ comes and he he rescues us because all we like sheep have gone our own way. See, whenever you are told and preached at with the world, you're your own boss. You can give yourself to sin, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Listen to your heart. All these things that are contrary to God's word. That's a pattern that I see in our culture. It's in the songs, it's in the movies, it's in the YouTube videos, it's in the influencers on social media. They're trying to get us to follow our heart. And it's foolish to follow your heart because Roman, or, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart's deceitful above all things. But if you follow the pattern of teaching of the world, it's going to leave you in slavery to sin. Why? Because that's what Romans 6 says. 
When we're slaves to sin, we give ourselves to sin, we give our heart to sin, we give our mind to sin, we give our bodies to sin. And when you've been set free from sin, you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to be conformed to this world. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Christ has set your body free, your heart free, your mind free, your hands free, your mouth is free, your eyes are free. You're free as a Christian. You're no longer a slave to sin. And when you and I are obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed, other Christians can see And you know what's going to happen when other Christians see that we're obeying from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed? Verse 17, the first part's going to be true of how our lives influence other people. You know what's going to happen? Other people are going to be thanking God for us. It's a wonderful thing when we are different from the world and we can observe each other as Christians and we're watching other people obey God from the heart. That's the most encouraging thing that we can do for each other as Christians. We're just obeying God. Our theme this year is obeying God together. We gather as God's people, and what we're about is we're just going to obey God. We've got to know what He expects, and when He knows what He expects, we're going to obey Him from the heart. I don't feel like obeying Him. Okay, so ask God to change your heart. Is that too hard for God to do? No, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, He says He's going to do that for you. That's His grace to change you from the inside out, causing you to obey from the heart, the pattern of teaching. I think I have on a slide the pattern of teaching that we have seen. Now, what is that pattern of teaching? All I'm going to do is just show you three highlights of Romans 1, 3, and 4 and show you a pattern there. And you can go back and find other Scripture from Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But there is a lot of teaching in Romans 1 to 5 so far that as Paul's writing to them, he's thanking God that they are obeying what he is writing. Okay, so I'm just going to stay within Romans. You can go outside of Romans because there's other patterns of teaching. Um, But what we're going to look at is how God's Word transforms us. Let me uh, point out one more thing at the end of verse 17, and then we'll go back to the pattern of teaching. To which you were committed or entrusted or delivered, you've been given over to teaching. See, if you were to go to a class, let's say it's, it's any class, it's math, it's science, how does the teacher know if you are mastered that class? Well, you're probably getting an A on the test, A's on the homework. You understand it. You can explain it to the teacher because you understand it so well. But we would say that you have mastered that teaching. If you were to go to a cult and they give you a list of rules to obey, a list of things that you have to do, and you'd say, okay, help me to master that teaching. Okay, I got, I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do, I do it this way, and we master 
some sort of teaching that's opposite of what we see here at the end of Romans 6, 17. Because we are not mastering the teaching. The last phrase of, of Romans 6, 17 is in the passive voice, which means something is mastering us. Does this match the context of Romans 6 where we are giving ourselves over to a new master and that master is changing us? He is the one who's holding us fast. He is the one that we sang about who is the loving shepherd. All we're doing is trusting Him. All we're doing is following Him. We're obeying Him. He is doing the transformation of our heart. Can you transform your own heart? Every false religion says you can, except Christianity says you can't. Every false religion says you have to master this teaching. And Christianity says, this teaching masters you. Why? Because if you were a Baal worshiper in the Old Testament, and you were following Baal, and Ahab and Jezebel told you to follow Baal, you followed Baal until you got to the top of Mount Carmel, and you, you followed Baal to the letter of whatever those priests said. And you watched the Baal worshipers, the priests, up there for eight hours making a fool of themselves, cutting themselves, jumping on their altar, and Baal did not answer with fire, you'd say, hmm, I don't think Baal exists. And in eight seconds, Elijah, his altar is covered in water and it stones. And in eight seconds, fire comes down from heaven, burns up the stones, burns up the water, and the Israelites fall on their faces and say, the Lord, He is God. You know what all false religions do? They create a God that cannot transform you. You could be committed to a pattern of teaching, and that pattern of teaching keeps you in slavery to sin. It minimizes the destructiveness maybe of sin, makes it more acceptable, but it does not change you from the heart. You're still a sinner when you follow a cult, when you follow a false God, when you follow a false religion. You can pray all you want. You can climb up on your knees up 150 stairs like I watched in Montreal. You can light candles. You can take pilgrimages. You can say all kinds of prayers certain times a day facing any certain direction. And that is not going to transform you at all because you're praying to a false God, powerless God, idols. And Paul says so far as, you're following doctrines of demons. But when you and I cry out to the true and living God, in a second, He saves us, transforms us from the inside out. And the title of the message is, we simply obey our powerful new master because He is the one who is entrusting us this doctrine. He is the one who is transforming our heart. He is our new master, and whatever He says goes. Do we have reason to trust Him in this pattern of teaching that has been delivered in Romans? Well, let's look at Romans 1, 16 and 17. I chose verses that would help us to remember 
but we can go back to them. They're all 17s, okay? I just did that because I thought they were unique. They fit in. Um, there are other, other patterns. You can go. I uh, tried to re- listen to Romans 1 to 6 this morning and capture the, um, the theme so far of Romans. It is God's righteousness, our need for God's righteousness. Let's see if it is not our powerful what our powerful master does for us. Here's a pattern of teaching. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So who saves you? You save you when you cry out to God? Your faith saves you? No. Who saves you according to Romans 1.16? The gospel saves you. The gospel is the power of God. When we see power, we think transformation. How much power does it take to transform a sinner to be a saint? It takes divine power. It's not us. We don't transform ourselves. We don't change our heart. We don't change our our obedience. We don't change the, the pattern of teaching. We submit ourselves to it, and God's gospel changes us from the inside out. Look at verse 17, for in it, in in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, or beginning and ending in faith. We trust God through this. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The only reason the righteous are alive or will be alive for all time is because they have trusted in a powerful God, and that powerful God and His gospel transform them. The gospel is the power of God. So, what do we do as Christians? We just give people the gospel. Watch it convict people. Watch them squirm. Watch them being uncomfortable with the the presentation of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is God's power. You look back in your life, the moment of your salvation, the gospel transformed your life from the inside out. The gospel is God's power. The righteous live in God's powerful gospel. Let's go over to chapter 3. Verses 10 to 18 tell us of our need for God's righteousness, our need for being rescued. Is this us doing this or is… No. What do we look like in Romans 3, 10 to 18? There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Do you see power there, or do you see weakness? Incredible weakness. Why? Because there's no righteousness. Here's the best of humanity right here in Romans 3, 10 to 18. Do you see power? Do you see weakness? You see someone who needs rescued. And here's a picture of all of us without God's righteousness. This is what our lives look like. So God's Word transforms us. And this is a quote of Old Testament passages. A powerful God shows us of our need for His righteousness. And as we use Romans 3, 10 to 18 in our lives, it convinced us we were lost. 
we needed a powerful rescue. And as we use it for other people, telling them, there's no one righteous. Well, I think I'm righteous. No, you're not. There's no one understands and there's no one who seeks after God. No one wants to know God. God has to do the transformation. A powerful God shows us our need for His righteousness. And then 417, one page over. I refer to 417 several times, even after I went past it, kept going back to it. What do we see of God's power here? In the middle of us trusting in Christ, and we are trusting in God like Abraham trusted God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, we have to trust in God alone. Salvation is by faith in a powerful God and by faith in Him alone. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, talking about Abraham, in the presence of God in whom he believed. Here's a snapshot of what God, who God is and what He does. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we are told in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Who can raise the dead? Because that's what needs to happen. Only God. God alone, in verse 17 of chapter 4, can give life to the dead. And He alone can call into existence the things that do not exist. In the context, this is talking about salvation. God and God alone, His power, can bring people that are spiritually dead to life. A powerful God gives life to the dead, calls into existence the things that do not exist. And finally, what we saw in 6, chapter 6, verse 17, a powerful God changes us by His Word from the inside out, changes our heart changes our minds, and when our hearts and our minds are changed, we're obedient. We give our bodies to God and say, however you want to use this, I need to know you through your word, whatever I see in your word, I will obey. And this is how we live as Christians. This is how we grow as Christians. This is talking about sanctification or growth after salvation. Romans 4 and 5 are about salvation. 6 to 8 is how we grow as Christians. This is how we grow, by submitting our will, our desires, our heart, our mind, and our bodies to a powerful God who replaces what we really wanted to serve sin before. He replaces that with, I just want to serve my Savior. That's all I want to do. That's how a Christian thinks. That's how a Christian's heart is changed. Every time you hear God's Word, every time you're exposed to the power of God, you're like, I'm so glad He's my Savior. I'm so glad I'm following Him instead of that awful master before. I'm so glad He set me free. And God's Word transforms us because our God transforms us. Because He alone is God. He's in the transforming business. We're going to pray, and we'll sing the first stanza of Trust and Obey, and then we will remember our Savior's 
death for us. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your truth that is a pattern, that as we submit to the pattern of truth that you have committed us to, that you begin to change us from the inside out. I pray that we'd be willing participants of this change. We all have far to go to be like our Savior. But by your grace and for your glory, we want to be changed. We know that you can do this. You can do wonderful things with little specks of dust like us. And I pray that you'd use these bodies as we present them to you. Use them for righteousness. Use them for holiness. Use them for your glory. Use them to draw other people to yourself as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.